Today's scripture comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to, the, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. You may be seated. Yeah. Good morning, church. Okay. I didn't know if you guys were going to call back or not. That's good. Uh, my name is Jacob, or Jake. Uh, I'm a member here at Christ City. I want to add my Jake, uh, my welcome onto Jake's welcome. If you get confused because there are two Jakes, who do we call what? Uh, you can call Pastor Jake uh, Old Jake. You can call him uh, Little Jake. You can call him Pale Jake. Any of those really work. And uh, you can just call me Jake or Jacob. That's it. That. <laughs> good by me. Let's open uh, in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for inviting us to taste and see your goodness. Because of the work of your son and the power of your spirit, we can delight in you. As we open your word, God, we ask that you renew our minds, unblock our ears, enlighten our eyes, and soften our hearts. Help me, Father, as I teach, and help us as we sit under your word to delight in your presence and in glorifying you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a couple weeks ago, my wife Liv and I uh, celebrated our two-year wedding anniversary. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, she's still with me, so that's main achievement, main achievement. Uh, Yeah, and so we went to Kelowna, and we went to this spot called The Lookout. Now, Obviously, you can see a picture of it on the screen here, but picture it with me. Vineyard around you, lake below you, hill before you, sun and radiant sky above you. I get the Wagyu steak, Liv gets the seafood risotto, and they get paired with these brilliant wines, wines so good, I, I, I couldn't even appreciate it, to be honest with you. Uh, a fine glass of Merlot uh, is indistinguishable to me from lighter fluid. So, I mean, but I, it didn't matter. 
It didn't matter because I had God's beautiful creation, my beautiful wife, to enjoy. Until the food came. Now, there's nothing wrong with my food. Wagyu steak, fantastic. Uh, but live seafood risotto, couldn't take my eye off it. And then she gives me a bite, right? And now I'm at war with this nuclear bomb of a thought, why didn't I get the seafood risotto, right? And then she says, have some more. And neither of us really want that, right? Uh, I don't want some of her food. I want all of her food. She doesn't want me to eat any of it. She wants to feel good about offering, right? <laughs> but and that, in that moment... Even in paradise on earth, I am so consumed with desire for something that isn't mine that I can't freely enjoy what I have been given. The Bible calls that coveting. Uh, being consumed with desire for something that isn't yours to want. And we all know what it's like to covet. Um, I actually asked my coworkers in uh, prep for this sermon if they could help me out. Uh, I asked them, of the four major social media apps, which do you think is most destructive to society? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Overwhelmingly, they said Instagram. In fact, uh, Twitter's fake news, TikTok's addictiveness, Facebook's dangerously unchecked uncle rants combined for fewer downvotes than IG. And I, and I asked them, why do you think that is? And they all said just about the same thing, which is that when we have to compare our lives to society's highlight reel, the pressure of that, it's crushing. Instagram thrives on coveting. Uh, and we see the best bodies and houses. We see the best adventures and spouses and can't help but compare. We know it isn't real. We know it's a filter and a moment and a show. But that doesn't make coveting any less painful. Uh, the Wall Street Journal actually did some reporting that Instagram knows that it is killing us with a thousand cuts of comparison. Instagram's internal research found that their app makes body image issues worse for one in three teenage girls. Instagram's own research found that um, about 10% of teens that wrestle with suicidal ideation link their suicidal thoughts to Instagram. But the da damaging effects of coveting, they aren't limited to teenagers, they aren't limited to social media. We know this. Our coveting hearts lead to affairs in the office, gossiping at school, and resentment at the dinner table. We don't need the Bible to tell us that coveting hurts. But as we meditate on the last of the Ten Commandments in this series, we're invited to realize that coveting is more than painful, it's wrong. Uh, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments as kind of the highlights of God's uh, 613 laws that he gives the people of Israel as they go into this new land that they're going to have. And he wraps up the top Ten Commandments with this, the first ever law in the history of the world of its kind. Look with me now at the world's first ever law that explicitly targets not actions, but hearts. Exodus 20.17 says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, covet here, it's the Hebrew word shamad. 
That word shamad gets used a bunch of different places to talk about like precious treasure or things we take pleasure in. Simply put, that word for covet here broadly means desire. And in the context of coveting, it's talking about misplaced desire. So let's meditate on desire from three angles to understand God's wisdom for us in this command. First, we'll think about how our coveting desires destroy. Second, how God's loving desire redeems. And third, how desiring God truly delights. First, let's look at how our coveting desires destroy. And before we get too far, I want to make one thing really clear. God is not against desire. Let me be even more direct. Desire was God's idea. And we know this because in the creation account in Genesis, uh, the, the nature that God has created, he pronounces it desirable. In 2019, 130 shows were released about nature. David Attenborough had a lot of work to do. Uh, That's more than two nature shows released a week that year. That's because God made creation astonishingly delightful. Just think of a sunset, right? God makes dandelion and lilac and peach erupt across the heavens whenever a blazing ball in the sky goes to sleep. God is not against making our hearts sing. And there's good reason for God making creation delightfully glorious. It points us to the ultimate glory. Psalm 19.1 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Creation says God is wonderful. And creation's a tasty appetizer, but God's the entree. There's this thing we do as people, you probably do it too, I know I do, which is even when we know the greater joy, we got something phenomenal coming, we will fill ourselves with lesser joys immediately in front of us. Right? Like when you go to a fancy restaurant with a rookie, what do you have to tell him? Don't fill up on bread. Right? I mean, it's there and it's free, and that olive oil balsamic combo just, right? Yeah? Don't fill up on bread. The greater joy is coming. The whole purpose of this beautiful world is to ready us for the most wonderful God. Don't let Lesser joys that should prepare you crowd out the greatest joy that they point to. So that background on the creator and purpose of desire, let's look at the 10th commandment again together. We read, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your, what's the last word? Very important. The commandment is not, don't desire a house, don't desire a spouse or a resource or a thing. Don't desire what is your neighbor's. Just remember, God's not against good desires. If you are single here and you desire a spouse, book of Proverbs says, go ahead. If you're here, you want a home, something like that, prophet Micah says, fire away. The, The Bible, God is not against good desires, he's against misplaced desires. So when desiring your neighbor's house is the goal or whatever, that's when desiring becomes coveting. Which begs the question, what's the big deal with desiring my neighbor's stuff, right? Well, first off, 
We shouldn't desire our neighbor's stuff because it'll cause rifts, friction in our community. The book of James makes this pretty clear. There we read, after desire has conceived, like a child, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James is saying that bad things don't just happen, right? We see the wrong, but God knows that every moral crime begins with a crooked motive. You see someone else having the look that you want, or the partner you long for, or the attention you seek, and you resent them. And as you incubate that covetous desire in your heart, it grows and gives birth to hostile actions. That cold shoulder we give our significant other because they don't quite show affection the way our friend's partner does. The gossiping that we enjoy far too much about that annoyingly happy coworker. You don't need to be a murderer like James talks about. When you introduce division because of insecurity and envy, that often starts with wrongly desiring what belongs to your neighbor. Now, conflict with our neighbor, bad. But it's actually not the worst thing about violating the 10th commandment. The biggest harm of coveting is the conflict it initiates with God. Quick story uh, to make that clear. When I was younger, I coveted the power other people had to like own a room. Okay, I was a really picked on kid. I was the guy people would zip tie up, take turns kicking, shooting with BB guns. Let's say I wasn't exactly popular. Okay? I used to covet the power over a room that guys like Brett had. I wanted Brian's rep as big man on campus. Now, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be picked on. The problem was, hear this, my insecurity drove my desire for other people's status to fix my pain. That insecurity produced lots of thoughts and habits uh, that were not helpful, damaged my relationships, right? Attention-seeking, constantly trying to prove yourself. But worst of all, putting my hopes on how many people I could impress meant that what God said about me was significantly less important to me than what I could get people to say about me. When we covet the praise of man, we cannot find rest in God. Coveting seems like a harmless act of the imagination, right? But it damages our relationship with Jesus in that when we're coveting, we're imagining stealing things, relationships, talents, status from other people. But at the same time, whenever we're doing that, we're imagining God as this stingy overlord who refuses to bless you. He's the God who lets you get beat down until you bailed yourself out. He's the God who lets you starve until you fed yourself. Coveting says God provides for the people we envy, not for us. Take, dream a great life on your own because God does not care. That mindset destroys our relationship with God, and it's not just that. It, it causes us to run to these sorts of desires that are counter to what he invites us to. 
That divine distrust leads to doing what God forbids, and by running to our sinful desires, we damage our relationship with our neighbor, with God, and the rotten fruit that we are left with never ceases to destroy us too. Can I ask you to think back to a moment when you envied someone around you, their relationships, their possessions, talents? Was it healthy? Did it lead to good relational fruit in your life? How did it impact your relationship with God? If you're like me at my anniversary dinner, forget the seafood risotto. Friend, exterminate covetousness from your heart. Let's talk about how. We've thought about how our coveting desires destroy. Let's switch gears and think about how God's loving desire redeems. One of the main problems with coveting is that we're trying to take joy from people who can't give it. We see the person smiling in the Tesla and we go, oh, they, they've got it. They might not actually be all that happy, so maybe that's why they can't give you the joy by passing on the Tesla, but far more fundamentally, we can't pass on our joy by passing on our stuff. If we want to receive joy, that's a much deeper transaction of the heart to pass on. Giving true joy is something only God can do. And that starts with the reality that there's one totally happy, totally sufficiently happy God governing the universe. Look at that joy on display in Jesus' baptism in the Trinity. Here's what we read in Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven, that's the Father, said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well, read that out, pleased. Christ said, in a world that continues to take from you, there is a God who needs nothing from you. He's already happy. Our one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always been happy in himself. And he sees you weary under the weight of your heavy heart. And he is inviting you to release that burden. He wants you to have his joy. Hear Jesus' words in John 15, 11. These are some of my favorite words in, in the whole Bible. Maybe you've wondered, why, why do we even have this thing? What's the point of it? Well, Jesus says, I have spoken my word, my commandments to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, I don't have an expensive car, uh, but I hear that precious cars need precious fuel. Uh, When I go to fill up gas at the gas station, there's like two, three tears in the gasoline pecking order above me that I just kind of like gaze over, but it's it's none of my business. I feel like the quickest way to make a car lover cry is to pick them up in a Ferrari, drive to the nearest gas station, and start pumping basic fuel into that beautiful Ferrari. They will weep. Why? Because precious vehicles need precious fuel. God wants your tank of joy running on the most precious fuel. He wants you to have his perfect quality of joy. But he doesn't want you getting like a quarter tank of the good stuff. He wants your joy to be 
totally full. He wants you to totally delight in the God that you were made to worship. God desires to heal your heart. And the crazy part is that even when we stopped desiring God, God leaned in. He chose to desire us. But he had to resolve a glaring issue in order to make that reconciliation possible. And that issue was our sin. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think we all have some basic understanding that when we do something wrong, we are disloyal to the good. When we do something wrong, we are disloyal to the good. But on the Christian worldview, the good is not a concept that we defy. The good is a personal God that we have all betrayed. Whenever we sin, we cheat on God. And for a relationship to heal, after unfaithfulness has occurred, there needs to be a change of heart. And God knew that fixing our hearts was an inside job. So the Son of God became a human being. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he chose to live the path of restoration, of faithfulness to God that we couldn't. And he completed that by, by taking the penalty of our betrayal on the cross. And Jesus didn't obey the Father's will in the cross with a grimace. <laughs> he, he did it with delight. Jesus said this, look at this fascinating scene in Jesus' last meal before he was tortured to death. Jesus said to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Think about that for a moment. What are the sorts of things that, that you and I want? Jesus wanted to eat with people who were about to betray him. He joyfully washed the feet of so-called friends who were about to deny him and sell him for silver. That's you and me. When you and I are our most ugly, when you and I are our most selfish, that's when Jesus earnestly desired to step into your life and suffer in your place. He is the farthest thing from negligent. He loves you more than you could ever know. And despite how we want to make ourselves the protagonist of this story, the main character of this world, this world is not about us. The whole story of the universe is about that loving, all-glorious God. The one who chose to desire you when you had nothing to offer, when he needed nothing from you. When we were hurting ourselves and others in our sin, Jesus said, I want to free you from being the center of this world unsatisfying story. Desire me as your Lord and Savior and treasure. And Jesus says, when you do that, I will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, why are we so consumed with coveting in the first place? Is it, is it not to, based on this, this lie that if we, if we have enough, then we'll be enough? Right? That there's this, this void that we are trying to fill with other people's stuff and status desperately. On the flip side, look at this picture of Jesus in Hebrews 1.3. It says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. 
the radiance of the glory of God. Man, that sounds good, but what does it mean? (laughs) Uh, John Piper wrote a book called Desiring God. He wrote this. The glory of God is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of his many perfections. I mean, think of every magnificent sunset you've ever seen. Every heart-melting, lovely relationship in your life. You have seen a lot of little, glorious things. And those things are tiny echoes of the cosmic thunderclap that is the radiance of the glory of God. And the radiance of the glory of God has a name. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's speaking into that void that coveting seeks to fill and says, I am your deepest longing. I am who you want. Instead of your neighbor's anything, trust the God of everything. Receive my joy. If you don't know this desirable Jesus, can I, um, can I challenge you to get to know him? Dinner is a really good place to start. Uh, if you like food, uh, I like food. <laughs> um, so we have a, a dinner and conversation series coming up uh, called Alpha, where we're going to be talking about life, faith, meaning, and joy. Christians and non-Christians getting together over a free warm bite to eat. And so uh, if that sounds like your speed, I think I might have some, some really profound um, beauty and interaction with him for you there. So I, I would check that out. If you're not a Christian, uh, listen up during the closing announcements uh, for that invite to Alpha. If you are a Christian, though, can I invite you to take hold of the riches that we have in God together? Uh, let's do that with our final point here. Desiring God truly delights. For many of us, The road to joyful life in God will start with walking away from what is killing us. And I don't know if there are things in your life around coveting that are killing you right now. Maybe you're on social media, you're like, this is, this is fine. Like I really, nothing in my heart is sparked up by this. Cool. Fine. If that's not you though, if as you're scrolling through Instagram, you, you feel covetousness bubbling over in your heart, friend, it's not worth it. Toss it. If, um, if there are relationships in your life where you've been pouring in envy and insecurity rather than p- prayer and blessing over those people in those relationships, uh, there might be some opportunity for restoration there that you need to go explore, right? But the call is higher than just turning away from death. The invitation is to walk into the embrace of the God of life. And that can look like a, lo- a lot of things for us, right? We know uh, as God's people, God has taught us how to delight in his word and in his church. As you spend time listening to your heavenly father in his word, with his people, by his spirit, God promises to give you delight in him. He promises to manifest that reality in your life. So take those things up. But today I want to focus on one main weapon that we have in the war for joy in Christ. One main weapon that we're going to focus on from three pictures to close, and that is practicing joy in God through prayer. Jake alluded to this a little bit at the beginning, but uh, prayer is a weakness of the Western church. Right? So that represents maybe our greatest opportunity for growing in Christian delight. In his book of prayer, Tim Keller wrote this, uh, prayer is our way 
of entering into the happiness of God. If coveting is practicing false beliefs about God and joy, in prayer we practice true beliefs about our joyful promises that we have in God. So let's practice that together Wednesday nights, uh, 7 p.m. right here. Um, That's going to be something that we're going to get to grow in together as a church through the year. But let's not wait for a couple weeks to start leaning into our Christian joy. Let's consider three pictures of prayer now to kill coveting and to develop delight. The first picture um, I want to have us think about is, is the prayers of thanksgiving that we see on full display in the life of a, of a Christian saint in China named George Chen. Uh, he was a, a Chinese Christian who was jailed for his faith in the 1960s. And the Chinese government and his jailers um, did everything they could to try to throw this guy off his faith. I mean, they cut him off of contact with his family. They gave him the hardest jobs in the prison. And the maybe cherry on top uh, of this was when there's 60,000 prisoners in this prison. And all of their poop floods out onto a field. George was tasked with being in that field all day, shoveling their poop to make manure. Anyone's life circumstances would have been enviable to George's. How did he keep from despair? Well, George sung thankful praises about God's presence in his life. Here's here's one of his favorite songs that he would sing. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. It's telling that George sang the song in the garden in a literally crappy field. The positive psychology gurus of our age didn't invent gratitude as a remedy for the soul, Christ City. Expressing gratitude for God protects our hearts in even the darkest times. Paul says, give thanks without ceasing from prison. So can I invite you to praise God for any of your limbs that work? Y'all remember last year when we were locked up in our houses and we couldn't see people? You remember that? Yeah? Praise God, widespread isolation is over. More than anything else, praise God that he is your strong high tower. Like George, watch your discontent plummet and your joy skyrocket as you draw near to God with the discipline of thankful prayer. Uh, That said, Christ City, I know we also have a lot of unmet desires in our midst. Lots to thank God for, but there's also, I know we've got a lot of hurting people uh, here. We have many families, members that we wish to see walk with God. We desire relief from anxiety about work and how we're going to pay our bills. Uh, We have desires for relationships in deep seasons of loneliness. Know that God wants you to bring those desires to him too. Draw near to God with the second prayer that kills coveting and develops delight. And that is prayers of petition, right? Ask God for your desires. And if you want to, hopefully I didn't kick my water over and get this on my book. uh, But (laughs) um, if you're wanting to grow in your faith in 
God's desire and ability to answer your even most outlandish prayers. I recommend that you pick this up. Uh, it's called Miracles Today by Dr. Craig Keener. In it, he, he tells a lot of stories from around the world of God answering miraculous prayers. Uh, he opens the book, and there's a lot he throws in there about eyewitness testimonies and medical reports that I found really interesting, uh, but this one really stood out uh, about Barbara Comiskey. Uh, she was diagnosed with MS as a teenager. She spent three quarters of her life in the hospital and then was transferred uh, to palliative care at home. She was intubated, didn't have a functioning eye, leg, intestine, like she was expected to die. And I can't do the story justice with the time that we had got left, but one moment Barbara's intubated in, in her bed, the next moment the prayers of her Christian brothers and sisters asking for her healing are read over her. She then hears this booming authoritative voice saying, my child, get up and walk, which she hadn't done in seven years. And the next moment, she is waltzing around the room with her father, catheter bags dangling from her clothes. Uh, the doctors who, in their medical notes, had commented that she is the, one of the most hopelessly ill patients they had ever seen had no medical explanation for the great health that she walked in for decades. In this church, in this book of miracles today, across the lives of Christians and in the word of God, we see weepy Christians asking God, weepy saints asking God to glorify himself in their midst and him answering those prayers. Abraham and Sarah asking for a child. The Israelites begging for freedom from oppression in Egypt, isn't the heart of prayer desire as an act of worship. So as an act of worship, ask God to give you godly desires, to change the desires of your heart. And then when that happens, ask him for those desires. Right? Jesus didn't die for you to tiptoe sheepishly into the throne room. Ask boldly. And, and when you ask, don't be consumed with your own glory. Do it to build up the kingdom of God to glorify his name. Don't look over your neighbor's fence. Look to the king, ask in faith, and rejoice in the many glorious answers he will give to your prayers. With all that said, I still hear a few tired whispers among us, if I'm honest. Jacob, I've drawn near. I've asked, I've waited. What about when God doesn't answer my prayers? That's a heartbreaking question. And uh, you are not expected to walk in that alone. We as your church are here to walk alongside you in that. But can I, can I close with uh, one last picture of prayer uh, to combat coveting, to kill it, and to develop delight instead? Pray prayers of lament. A prayer of grief and sorrow might not be the first thing that comes to mind, understandably, when you think about joy. But remember that when we covet, we're, we're trying to fix our broken hearts by thinking of a neighbor who can't help us. Take your broken heart to God, the one who can help you instead. And while George's story of thanksgiving and Barbara's story of petition are great, uh, 
you don't need to look to anyone else to see and hear a story of one grieving in prayer to the Father other than your crucified king. The one who called out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Screaming while bearing the weight of the sin of the world, Jesus shows us that God is not afraid of your honest grief. Jesus desired for his cup of suffering to pass him too, but he didn't retreat from the Father in grumbling. He drew near to the Father in lament. I don't know what unresolved desires you're, you're dealing with this morning, but if your faith is in Christ, just as I know that God worked in unmeasurable beauty out of Jesus' unfulfilled desires. He is working for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison from your longing to. Jesus is praying for your needs right now. He sees you. He has stepped into your story. And the day is coming when he will wipe away your final tear and say, welcome into the full joy of my glory. Coveting will not fix your broken heart, but God will. Don't desire anything that belongs to your neighbor. Belong to Jesus, and his delight will belong to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus saying, not my will, but your will be done. Even when our desires were for death, your desires to save us and give us life prevailed. We praise you for that, Father. Help us to covet nothing more than your presence. Help us to desire nothing more than your glory. Help us to desire to pick up our cross and follow you. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And oh, what a joyful kingdom it will be. We praise these things delightfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver. And I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christitychurch.ca.